National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire class, 2019. Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon. They can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy, National Fire Radio, back on the podcast again today. Another guest and another stellar guest that's got a lot to share. Jeff Kaplan, 29 years in the fire service, 23 with the city of Englewood, New Jersey, which is a, uh, well, I'm going to let Chief Kaplan talk about that. He is now the chief of department for Englewood after 23 years. He's also a volunteer firefighter a few towns over, and we're going to hop on that a little bit, too. Um, and I, one thing that we don't talk enough about, and this is how I kind of want to segue in chief is finding your own way into the fire service. You do not have any family in the job or on the job prior to you falling in love with it. So welcome to the podcast and let's start off with that, man. Talk to me about how you found your way into the fire service. Um, I don't, I don't have a really like a good answer for you. Uh, what I, what I, <laughs> But I kind of tell people is like, um, yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Tenafly, which again is this next town over from Englewood. 
And the best I can describe it to you is like my house up the street from the firehouse, you know, and the whistle would blow and, yeah. and the trucks would go up the street. And I was always the kid running to the window to see the trucks, you know, you know, go past the house. And, um, and instead of kind of, you know, like when a kid turns, you know, nine or 10 and that sort of wears off, it never wore off for me. I always still was really intrigued by everything. And I would walk down to the firehouse and I would check out, you know, what was going on in the firehouse on drill night. And um, I have a really cool picture in my locker at work of my grandfather who um, lived in Englewood, was, you know, like born in, not born in, in Englewood, but lived in Englewood the majority of his life. And he used to take me to the firehouse, um, like on Saturdays. We'd go visit the firehouse. We'd go get lunch on Halstead Avenue. And so there's a picture of me. I'm probably like five or six sitting on the bumper of the old uh, ladder truck. It's awesome. And, um, it's just a cool picture of like throwback in the William street firehouse when I'm, you know, like I'm a kid and you know, like here I am. And I never would imagine, uh, imagine it like now here I'm, I'm the chief of the department, but, um, you know, coming full circle, uh, I was super close with my grandfather and I, I, I wish that he could see, uh, see, see this. Um, he was actually in my swearing in when I became a firefighter, but, um, yeah, Anglewood was a, an important part, is an important part of my family. Um, you know, my, you know, like my mom grew up in town. Yeah. So it's, a, it's kind of, it's just kind of a cool thing how, um, you know, I didn't end up in, you know, wherever. Um, I took the test in Montgomery County, Maryland. I took the test in Hackensack. I took the test in New York City. But to land in Anglewood, where my family is from, um, it's really cool. And, and like, I, I, so I don't have a, I don't have a reason, you know, why the fire service? Like I just said, like I was always attracted to it. Just I was always intrigued by it. Um, but Anglewood, um, Anglewood is my family's home. So that's when that's the thing I can give you. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I I absolutely get that, right? I mean, I I had you know I grew up in the firehouse, right? But a lot of people don't, and oftentimes we don't talk about that. You know, we we always talk about that generational family, second generation, third generation, all that stuff. But there are guys and girls that find their way to the fire service on their own path. And I, I love those stories too. When you go to work in the morning and you open that locker and that picture is sitting there, what is, I mean, there has to be, I mean, you see it every day. So I'm sure the emotional value of it is not as, as, or maybe it is as strong as it is every day as it was the first day you saw that photo. But I, does that photo hold you accountable? Like it does, is, is that something that's super important and that you value and it kind of keeps you focused when you open your locker in the morning and you see that because as that little kid you were so there was such an the fire service made such an impression on you that now you're in a position to make that same influence on other kids and other people is there is there a correlation there um i don't know if i don't know if that's it i I, my grandfather was um i don't want to say hard on me but yeah always made sure that like i was doing my best Mm -hmm. in school like you know don't you know like don't settle for lousy grades you're better than that you know strive strive to do well in school strive to do your best always achieve for the best um he he just held us to a very you know he wanted to make sure that we held ourselves to a great standard sure we achieved best we could and um he was a great guy he was a hard worker um and i think that he always wanted us to have to do better than he did in life yeah he worked he was uh he was a, a grunt, a blue collar guy. And I think that he wanted us to achieve 
more than he did. Um, and he wanted to make sure that, you know, through hard work and through education that we were going to succeed and don't settle for anything less than that. Yeah. And all, of his, yeah. all of his grandchildren did that. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's the reminder of, you know, seeing that picture and what, um, you know, what he taught us. So, well, we need we need a lot more of that in this world today. I can promise you that. And I think, you know, that, too, as a parent and uh, I've met your son and, um, you know, to influence him. And I know that he likes the fire service as well. Correct. Yeah, he's into it. You know, I have have two kids. Oh, okay, Um, I'm sorry. Yep. The the younger my oldest has, you know, doesn't care about Mm -hmm. it at all. But my youngest is for for right now. And he's like, again, he's at that that 10 year old age. He's into the farming he's into the fire trucks you know like like you saw him at wilder walking around checking out all the yeah 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 he's into it um so it's just fun and and maybe that will fade i don't know but right now um we're enjoying um sharing that it's it's cool i i couldn't agree more and i think that it's fantastic (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's cool it's cool it's a lot of fun yeah for sure and you know i'm like i'm struggling with them my house right now trying to get anybody to like it But no, I mean, it's just my daughters. I don't know. My one daughter might, um, she might pursue it, but she also knows that it's got to be done the right way. And it's a, uh, it's a big commitment. And I don't know, uh, if she's, if she wants to take on such a big commitment. So it's just funny, but we've had this conversation on the show before where we talk about the volunteer firehouse, cause you're a volunteer fireman as well. And you know, and you have been since you were 16 years old. So that institution outside of your career job has certainly an impact on you and your family as well. But I know for a fact that we don't have as many smaller kids running around the firehouse like we used to when I was growing up. And I think, you know, it's partly maybe the makeup of the community and that we're missing that middle age group of, of guys that have kids in those, uh, in those earlier years, because a lot of those people have moved out of town um, and the people that have kids in town just don't volunteer anymore. Um, but for you and your volunteer circle, like, do you see a lot of kids in your firehouse? So it's, I, I know we weren't going to, we, this is sort of like off where we were going to talk. Yeah, well, we'll get there. Go ahead. So, so Ordell is like a total anomaly. Um, you got, and again, like, this is, I, I, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like an odd duck here. I came to Ordell, you know, pretty pretty, I don't want to say late into my fire service career, but established in my fire service career. I had already volunteered in a few places. I had, I was already on the job uh, like a year already. Like I was already on the job. Yeah. So like, I was like buying my first house. I was settling in a new community. I didn't know anybody. Um, I had been a volunteer in Tenafly. I'd been a volunteer. I actually started in Alpine, which is a really cool place, but like just like Mayberry. Yeah. Very right. small a very cool place and i still talk to the guys up there there's some great people up there um i had did a, a stint in maryland when i went to school down there for a year so i had all these i was on the ambulance corps um in Tenafly. like so i had all these like sprinkles of experience that i'm like i like I, I, I like i know the deal here like i know what like the volunteer firehouse is and this is a funny story and i tell people this i walk into ordell the first night and you walk into the top steps and I'm, this isn't an exaggeration. So my first night in the Ordo Firehouse is drill night. And there's no less than 35 people in the firehouse waiting for drill night. Yeah. And, like, my jaw dropped. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a lot of people here. And I'd never experienced that before. And the commitment and dedication 
in this firehouse in particular is unbelievable. Um, and the ongoing recruitment effort and participation and ongoing um, just involvement is nothing like I've ever seen before. And I don't know what the magic recipe is. Now, here I am 21 years later in the department, I'm about to be the chief. I still can't put my finger on it, but it's what you said, the, the, the junior members that we have go away to college and they come back and they want to stay in Oradell and live in Oradell so that they can continue to be members of the Oradell fire yeah. department. We have this, you know, this magic spell on people and their kids become members of the Oradell fire department. It's very generational. We have second generation and third generation members of the department. It is nothing like I've ever seen before in any other. Look, I know people obviously all throughout Bergen County and throughout the state and even throughout the country at this point, I've never seen anything like it. And I, and I really, really, I can't put my finger on it, but um, we have a pretty robust junior program. We, I would tell you that we have, I don't know, eight junior members right now. Two of them are about to become um, regular members are turning 18 shortly. And so they're going to become regular members. We just recruited in the last six months, I think six or seven new members. And that's really to the effort of one, uh, one of our lieutenants in particular, who's just like, um, he's a first grade parent, a first grade dad. And he's like, "Eh, you're a first grade dad. You're going to join the fire department. And like anyone, (laughs) anyone with a pulse, it's like, come on down, come to the firehouse, come down the firehouse. And you know, some of them will stick and maybe some of them will fade away. But like a, a, a very aggressive recruitment effort, um, you know, it's fantastic. Even like, yeah, even a couple of years ago, like our membership was full. We had a waiting list. We yeah. had to we had to expand the roster. So, um, wow. I, I really I don't, I don't have an I don't have an answer why, but very generational. We have a you know a kids Christmas party coming up. I think there's like 50 kids that are coming up to you know meet Santa and get gifts and um, Santa Sunday. It's just it's huge. It's a big deal in town. It's Again, I spent a long time in Tenafly and a long time in the volunteer fire service. I've never seen anything like it. It's it's very cool. It's very community based. It's very social based. Um, you know, some people think it's kooky, but it's it's you know the people in town expect it. They look forward to it. Um, we're very much a fabric, a part of the fabric of the town. It's it, and that's the only way I can describe it. The Florida Fire Department is very much a part of the fabric of the town. And, yeah. and, and if we and if we weren't part, like if we stopped doing it, the town would be disappointed. I know that sounds like cliche or I don't know, but, um, you know, it, that's that's just the way it is. No. I, so, so there's a lot to unpack there. Right. And and I love like I, I think the fire department, the volunteer fire service needs to be part of the woven fabric of Main Street. USA, right? And in, in our that's, communities. And like that's okay. Like that's the best way to describe it. Like Oradell still is a very Main Street USA town. Yeah. Very you know, oh yeah, you can't t- knock down this historic building as part of the fabric of the town. Like like they expect us to be here for the July fourth parade. Right. They expect us to deliver Santa on the fire truck. And if that ever stopped, like there would be an outcry. Like, oh what you know, like but it does tax. I mean, it's nice to be able to have the numbers and the manpower to be able to pull together to be able to pull off all these special events. But throughout the country, right, the volunteer fire service is really starting to wane in that regard that as responsibilities are climbing, right, and I'm talking about operational responsibilities, 
sometimes the community events then start to suffer, right? That, that Main Street USA, that, that woven fabric that we're supposed to be of the open garage door on Main Street with a guy washing the truck, that Norman Rockwell, you know, painting type, you know, look, right? As much as that is, you know, maybe still the case in Oradell, New Jersey, it is struggling elsewhere and it is hard. And, um, and I think a lot of the secondary uh, secondary impacts we have on, on our, uh, of our towns and municipalities is suffering because the focus gets put on response because that's our, that's why we're there. And a lot of the secondary stuff then takes a second seat. I don't know. It, yeah, it's definitely, look, it's definitely, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, there are times where we have trouble like any other fire department. Um, you know, we just finished up, you know, between fire prevention week, we just celebrated our 125th anniversary, um, a 5k fundraiser, all these special events. And by the time we were done, the guys were exhausted and they were like, like enough, we're yeah, done. Yeah. But, you know, and then, you know, throw in all the, you know, the fire calls drilling, you know, the guys started to like drop off at the end. Um, you know, so we have trouble responding like everyone else. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we'll, we'll continue to look at, you know, different ways of, of recruitment and, Well, part of it, part of it is that community outreach, right? When you, when you make yourself available at all these different functions and you're at the 5k and you're at the town fair and you're at this and you're at that, you're showing the townspeople, the people that you are serving, you're also inviting them. And if we remove ourselves from that part of the community in the service aspect of it, outside of response, we then start to limit our exposure, which then limits the potential for recruitment. Yeah, it's it, we we've had yeah. All I can say is like we've just been we've been very successful. That's fantastic. It's awesome. I freaking so, jealous, man. All, all I can all I can hope is that like it translates into you know enough manpower to respond to the emergencies. And and I, like I, I hate to say it, like look, the the pandemic is a terrible thing, but the pandemic has also allowed some of our members who work from home to respond as well. And um, some of our best responders still are working from home, at least partially. And it's allowed us to get at least an engine on the road during the day. Yeah. And if those, and if those members have to go back to the office, like we're in a bad place. Like we'll be in a just just as much of a bad place as other municipalities. Yeah. So that's, get it. That, that's helped us. Yeah. No, know. for sure. Well, let's talk about that, too, because I know, you know, kind of segueing the conversation you alluded to before, like, I didn't think we were going to talk about this, but let's go. Um, organic conversations are the best. And I want to segue this way. When we talk about manpower, there are some opportunities to bring on additional staffing outside of regular, uh, recruitment efforts. Right. And that means, you know, like we were just talking about, but taking it to maybe looking at grants and ways to, uh, get money in, uh, whether on the career side to employ more personnel or on the volunteer side, the safer, you know, safer grants also apply to the volunteer side too. Uh, in maybe developing programs or bringing in the ability to sustain volunteer members in, in our departments. And I know that you're, you know, you're big into the grants and, and pursuing additional funding for different projects, whether it's staffing, equipment, et cetera. Why don't we go down that road a little bit? Because I think people get a lot of value out of your experience and what you've been able to do over the years in your positions and, and the ability to secure funding for different projects and, uh, and certainly staffing. Okay. Um, Anglewood, Anglewood has secured two safer uh, grants 
Uh, we got one in 2019, and we just were awarded another one um, this past year. Um, so I don't know. It's got to be the it's got to be like close to like three million dollars in safer funding. Wow. Um, so the 2018, which is actually the 2019 year, but 2018 fiscal year was for a little over six hundred thousand dollars for four guys. We're in the third year of funding uh, funding of that uh, project. And then the one that we just were awarded for was for six guys. I think it's one point eight million dollars. So it's it's a really good chunk of change. Um, and then between Anglewood and Oradell, I've honestly I've lost track of how many AFG grants we've done. We yeah. we are killing it with AFG money. And then we've also done a cut. We've gotten uh, firehouse subs grants in both towns. I've gotten. Um, we got the Division of Fire Safety PPE grant in, in Englewood uh, awarded last week. Uh, we were able to do um, an FM Mobile grant. Uh, we've, we've done extremely, extremely well on the grant front um, in the last, I guess, five years. Really, really, really well. Well, let's, really. so let's break this down, right? Because obviously, I mean, that is in your wheelhouse then and the people that help support that. And so on. Let's talk about um, if we can focus on Englewood for half a second with the with the four four and then sixth um, within a couple of years apart. But the way the safer grant works is the money is allotted for employment and it's it's up front and then it's broken down for a few years after. Right. Which then offsets the city then starts to offset the cost of those members. Correct. So that at the end of the grant money running out, the city then can sustain the employment of those new members. Correct. Yeah, I mean, like every grant, the terms of the grant are, are very, very clearly stated yeah. in what they call the notice of funding opportunity, the, and they call it the NOFO. So it's 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 eyes wide open. They they FEMA clearly states what the terms or the conditions of the grants are prior to the municipality applying for the grant, and um, you know when when we apply for the grant, um, I start with. Um, like my city manager, we have a conversation. This is what the grant is. This is what we're going to apply for, or this is what we would like to apply for. Um, you know, this is how much money we're going to apply for, or this is the project that we're going to apply for. So in the case of safer for funding, Hey, like the conversation that we had this time, how many people would you like to apply for? And honestly, for this round, the first number was thrown out four firefighters. Okay. Four firefighters. And I said, well, if we're going to apply for four, why don't we apply for six? Like, we're short 10 guys or 12 guys. Yeah. Said, well, why don't we apply for six? And, you know, and it was like, uh, okay, we'll apply for six. So my boss, like full, you know, full disclosure, like they okayed it. And then again, every municipality is different, but before we apply for a grant, our mayor and council, our governing body um, passes a resolution approving um, the application. Yeah. So our governing body knows going into it that, hey, we're applying for these funds and this is the amount of dollars that we're applying for. So I, I guess it's almost um, it's a CYA where my 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 immediate boss, my supervisor, the city manager has approved that we're signing off on it and applying for it. And our governing body is applying for it. It knows that we're applying for it as well so that when we do get the award and we do basically do that whole process again, but we pass another a resolution approving um, to accept the award. So it's 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 a lot of hoops to jump through, but we don't even apply for it um, unless they're signing off on it. So that 
Um, we don't get into a situation where, you know, eh, we're not accepting it. Like, yeah, we're getting, we're getting this money. They, yeah. And, and we knew about it six months ago or nine months ago. Like we, we, you knew what we were applying for. We were very transparent on what we were applying for. And so when we do get the award, it's, it's basically a rubber stamp at that point, because I can go back to the resolution and when we applied for the money and said, Hey, this is how we're This is how, what we're applying for. This is how we're going about it. So that uh, w- there's no, there's no surprises. Like I hey, a surprise. Like, Hey, Hey, I applied for this grant six months ago and now I want you to approve it. No, you basically approved it on the front end. Um, and that's, and that's how I handle all the grants. We have to have them uh, um, sign off on it before we even apply for it. Yeah. So, I, full transparency. Right. I mean, that, and that's the thing. I mean, I think the, I think the hard part is there's a lot of times there's animosity between the fire department and, and city managers, if you will. Right. And a working relationship is absolutely necessary. And I'm, I can't speak to a grand scale, but I can talk on a small scale. Right. And knowing that if you have the support of your, of your uh, municipality, your bird administrator, your city manager, and the mayor, the council, and so on, and being able to do that. But it takes a well-put-together presentation to educate the municipality as to why we want to pursue that grant, right? I mean, the homework has to be done. I mean, that is the thing that I think is lacking most is that, you know, it's nice to want, but why do you want? And and you have to be able to formulate a very detailed, specific plan, right? I mean, you have to be able to put together a plan that makes sense and that you basically become a salesman to sell it to the municipality, correct? Sure. I mean, with with any of the grants, most of the time, I can't say for all of the time, and every town is different, but most of the time, hey, we're looking to fund a project that you would normally have to fund anyway, and we're looking to have FEMA fund it for us. So Englewood's first grant award was to purchase two-way radios. And we had a team of, of firefighters. Um, it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't just me, it just wasn't me. It wasn't the me show. We had a group of guys who worked on this project, um, really smart guys, really sharp guys dialed in. Our portable radios were literally being held together with electrical tape. I mean, it, we were in bad shape. And we convinced the, you know, convinced the, the city manager at the time, hey, let's apply for this money. It doesn't hurt to try, you know, what's the worst case, you know, we'll get turned down. You know, that was the worst case scenario, but we ended up being awarded $250,000 for, you know, brand new portable radios, you know, Motorola Apex radios. And man, it was like, it was like Christmas in July type of thing. And all of a sudden every member had a brand new Motorola, you know, $7,000 portable radio. It was like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And it improved the safety, you know, the safety and welfare of our guys, you know, a hundredfold. And you know, like, why would the town say no to that? It was money that they didn't have to spend. And it kind of kicked the door open like, oh, wow, like there's money available for all these different projects. Like, yeah, all you have to do is apply for it. And I think that as long as they know that, like, look, sometimes you're going to get money and sometimes you're not. It's it's a it's a crapshoot. Like, yeah, there's no guarantee that you're going to get the money. But if you don't apply for it, like, you know, you're, if you're on the sidelines, then like what do you, there's no, you can't complain if you're on the sidelines, but if you apply for it and you, and you get out there, like, that's great. But there's, there's, there's opportunities out there. And so they've been very supportive of it. Um, How do like you, said, like, yeah, go ahead. 
you know, we pick the projects internally at this point. Like I, you know, typically it's like, you know, a couple of the guys like, Hey, this is what I think we should apply for. Yeah. That seems like a good idea. Or like, this is something that we really need. Um, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell the manager like, Hey, this is what we're applying for, for, for AFG this year. Okay. Sounds good. And again, it, it just goes over in a resolution. They sign off on it. And they, you know, again, it's no skin off their back. It's it. They're good with it. They're we're getting free money. Um, it's been it's been very it's been very um beneficial to our sure both both municipalities both oradell and anglewood um what is what's chief what's your process meaning like what how do you put together do you put together a grant committee are you writing them do you have a third-party grant writer who helps you craft the narrative or or give you the ideas of where we want to go with the grants and things like that like give me your process and how you go about it um, like now, like now, um, a lot of the narrative is done already. Yeah. Once, once we've established a good narrative, meaning like the narrative for the, the town, like the, the narrative for the town never changes. You know, the city of Anglewood is a, you know, municipality made up of 28,000 people, you know, we're, you know, uh, you know, 4.2 square miles with 52 houses of worship, blah, blah, blah. Like that narrative never changes. It's the same narrative that we used five years ago. It's the same narrative. Like that, 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 that narrative portion of it doesn't change and wants to know about critical infrastructure. Well, the critical infrastructure never changes. So we have that really dialed in. Same thing for Oradell. You know, the borough of Oradell has, you know, 8,000 people. We protect, you know, the Pascack Valley, New Jersey transit line, the Oradell reservoir. So we have that pretty well dialed in. The only thing that really has to change is the actual project description. And I think that we look at, um, again, I can refer back to that NOFO, that notice of funding opportunity. The notice of funding opportunity does change a little bit each year, you know, year to year. It definitely changes. And you have to look at what the priorities are year to year and what FEMA is looking to fund um, year to year. And um, for sure in Englewood, the prior, the priority seems to be again. This is my opinion. This isn't like this is the gospel. But what it seems to be each year, the number one priority that FEMA is funding is training. Like a lot of people need equipment. I get it. Like oh, we need SCA. We need um, radios. We need <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. We need uh, you know, we need a fire truck. But if you look at what the funding priorities are training is always number one right everything falls in underneath training so um after we did the radios we've been putting in for training year after year and and i don't think that we've been turned down for training yet i think maybe we we lost maybe maybe ordell didn't get training this year but um in englewood we did an entire fire officer one and two series um funded we did a regional grant with Teaneck and Hackensack with rapid intervention training, which was awesome doing it with the, with the three towns together. Uh, we did that at the Morris County fire Academy, a hands-on writ program, which was just amazing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we just did uh, a 40 hour vehicle extrication program um, with, with Anglewood's guys, which was again, you know, just great. Some of our younger guys had never done, um, you know, advanced you know, program like that. And then we just got funded 
um, multiple different driver training program. Like we're going to kick off probably um, in the spring where it's going to be an emergency vehicle operators class, some classroom programs, um, some train the trainer programs, um, uh, Nick Esposito's tower ladder positioning program. So we got all of that funded. Um, and so it's not just the class itself. It's also the salaries to, to bring the guys in on overtime right. so that they can end the classes. So that's how we've got, we've gotten about all of this training. So that's how I sell it to the town. Not only am I paying for the class itself, but I'm also paying for the salaries to send the guys. So it, that's, that's the selling point. Like I can send these guys to um, NFPA compliant programs uh, that are, you know, the, the classes themselves are expensive, but the real cost to the town is the, is the salary. And we would yeah, never be, sure. we would never be able to afford to send a guy to a 40 hour program or more, you know, the driving training is more way more than 40 hours when it's all said and done, it's probably like 80 or 90 hours. So 80 or 90 hours on overtime, like do the math. It's, you know, it's it's two hundred thousand dollars for all my guys. So all of that's being FEMA funded. It's it's a total home run. So the so the the mayor and council and the administrator are are totally on board with it. And at the end of the day, we are you know NFPA compliant with driver training with with RIT with fire officer. We've we've met or exceeded all of these NFPA mandates um, through FEMA. It's it's been a it's been a huge win for our department. Really really good. That's really good. fantastic. I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's, um, I think a lot of people listening would be like, holy shit, like, wow, you know, that, that there's a chief that is that excited about bringing in that much training to make his people better, right? And finding solutions to problems like, hey, we can't offer you this much out of our budget, but if we're going to seek external funding, you know, we get the sky's the limits and, and all it takes is that groundwork to be laid and the conversations to be had and to apply for these grants to be able to potentially bring in that money to make your people better. That's huge. I, I think that like, you know, and everyone thinks of like AFG and they're like, they're thinking of equipment, like, oh, we need new turnout gear. Like, I get it. Every, like, We all need turnout gear. We all need the SCBA pack. We all need, you know, what, whatever tools or equipment that we're lacking, but um, we had an ISO survey a couple of years ago that we got roughed up pretty good with training. And it was like, how do we solve this problem? It's an expensive problem to solve. And AFG was the way that we, we went about it. And, you know, when, when I took over as a training officer a couple of years, our officers had no training, no fire officer training, no fire instructor training, no safety officer training. And it was, it was an insurmountable problem unless we had the AFG money. And now every single one of our fire officers are certified in fire officer one and two, you know, at the state level. I mean, like we would have never been able to get that done without the funding. I mean, it just, it was, it was a great way of solving the problem. Really, yeah. really good. Really good. Did you find that I was, I was interested in the one conversation you talked about with the writ training with two other cities, right? So Teaneck, Hackensack and yourselves, right? You guys work together regularly, almost on a daily basis for fires and things like that. Joint responses on certain boxes or whatever. But the benefit of putting together those three cities that operate together on, on boxes also allows them to work together, too, on the training aspect. When you're applying for grants, how important is it to maybe look at, especially for smaller jurisdictions, you know, vol smaller volunteer departments maybe, to do a joint grant application with, say, one or two other municipalities or your county or a mutual aid response town or something like that? I mean, do you see benefit in that? Uh, yeah, in the sense that, 
Um, and the AFG is coming up again. It's I, I believe it's opening up in January. So you're allowed to apply for an individual grant. So, you know, Franklin Lakes Fire Department can apply for the Franklin Lakes Fire Department, but then you can do a regional grant as well, an additional application. So let's say Franklin Lakes, Oakland, and Wyckoff and come up with a regional project. It could be equipment. You know, we want to buy a, a regional piece of right. equipment or a regional training project. So you can actually put in multiple applications. So let's say Franklin Lakes wants to buy air packs, but then Franklin Lakes can apply for a regional project with the you know multiple towns to solve a regional problem. So you can you can you know go back to the well more than once, and that's what we've done. We actually did a regional project again with Teaneck and Hackensack that we didn't get awarded this year, but we had multiple you know multiple irons in the fire, so to speak. You know, so Anglewood got awarded their individual grant, but we didn't get awarded the regional grant. But it's you have to try. Like, gotta I, be like in I, it to win it, right? You said you that before. Be if you're sitting on the sidelines, yeah. you can't complain. But it's I, I got to put those applications in, and so now we're talking about like, well, what's the regional grant going to be for 2023? Like, we, we're, we're already talking about what the project's going to be. Maybe it's this year we applied for a piece of equipment, we applied for a training trailer that the three towns would have shared and would have um, given us a you know a training prop that the three cities would have uh, you know yeah. shared. Mm-hmm. We would have towed it to the th- you know firehouses, and we didn't get it. But, you know, maybe we'll just put in for it again and try again. But we got to keep trying and we got to keep, you know, looking for those opportunities out there. So, no, it's it's a great conversation. I don't think it's talked about enough. I know some people run some conferences and some seminars on on the grant writing itself and how to apply. But I think having conversation with guys that have received them in the past, like like a chief like yourself, who knows how to navigate that space very well. I think it makes for a very good conversation to have, especially if you're looking to pursue external sort, you know, external funding for, for projects. It makes, yeah. it makes a difference. And just like real quick, like if there's, if there's, um, if there's departments out there that are nervous about it, there are some grant writers out there. Um, they don't charge a, a whole lot of money, but if it, they'll get you started and, and if, you know, some of them are very successful, um, some of them are very successful. So I know a couple of local towns by us um, have put in for projects and they've gotten awarded multiple times. So if, if you're nervous about it or you're, you know, you're not sure if it's right for you, you know, contact one of the grant writers out there and, and they can help you help you navigate the waters, but don't wait, don't wait till it's announced. Like start thinking about your projects now and get your quotes and kind of start putting your, you know, your projects together. If you wait till before it's announced, you're, you're behind the eight ball. You got, you got to do it now. Well, and I think that's it, right? I mean, there there needs to be a need, and the need needs to be followed up with planning, and uh, and and then you know execution. And I think it's it's a lot it's a lot of work, right? I mean, to be able to put together the information needed to write up the grant, to put everything together, to educate your municipality, to educate your own people, um, you know, it's a lot of work. No, uh, like I said, like we've done a lot of the we've done a lot of the heavy lift already. So now it's like, it's not, it's not that big of a deal for us. Now we've, we've already done, we've already done a lot of all that heavy work in the past, but for a town that's never done it. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's four weeks, five weeks of a lot of work and a lot of running around and you have to make sure that you have like all your federal registration numbers together. And you know, yeah, that's, that's a lot of work. Like, but yeah, for, for Ordell and Englewood, like we've been there, done that. We've 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 been through that craziness. We're good, 
But for someone who's never done it before, like now's the time to start, you know, making sure that you can get into the portal, making sure your DUNS number is re- like good, making sure your SAM registration is good. Like, and, and, and if you if you wait till the port, you know, if you wait till the grant is announced, that's a stressful time to try to get it done in five or six weeks. Yeah, so exactly. I, I recommend don't wait. Don't wait till then. Start planning it now. How do it's you? Definitely, it's okay. definitely coming. Yeah. How do you find these grants? I mean, I know AFG and the safer, right? Those are, you know, federally federal, uh, you know, uh, projects that you can that you can apply for and are widely known. But you mentioned a slew of other, uh, you know, uh, funding sources that you were able to secure over the years with through grants. How did how do you find these? If, If a guy, you know, just regionally, what's the best way to go about looking for opportunities? Uh. I don't know. There's a couple of websites out there, like the firefighter grants website's good. I mean, that's going to sound stupid, but like Google, you know, Google firefighter grants. Um, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I'm just the, curious. Yeah, I've yeah. never, I've never, there, go- there I've never are, searched it. So I don't know. Fortunately, there aren't that many. Like, and I just had this conversation with the manager yesterday. There are more for law enforcement yeah. or for like, you know, development block grants and things like that. There's more for the municipality that are specific to the municipality or law enforcement or health department than there are for the fire service. There are limited opportunities for the fire department out there. And, um, but, but they do exist. Some of them aren't like big ticket items. Like they're not the, the, like the big, like, wow, like, you know, big projects, but even like a small project, even if it's five or $10,000 still is like, it's still a good project and it's still, still money in your pocket. Um, For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so, and, so and for a lot of departments, that makes that's a that's a huge, huge delivery for them. Yeah. And to a smaller department or to a, a rural department. Yes. Like 10 grand or 15 grand is, is game changing. You know, a huge, a huge windfall. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing all that because I it's something that I don't know much about. And um, I know in my municipality over the years, we've received a few of those grants. Um, for different for equipment for staffing different things like that so uh, and I believe now they have a grant writer that the town has uh, retained to help with the process and I think what they just get a cut of whatever uh, comes in they get a small percentage or something I think that's how that's offset Um, but yeah I I agree with you chief I think that uh, you know if you don't know where to start contact somebody that does it see what their model looks like talk with them and get the ball rolling because frankly it's free money that's out there and if you have a need and you can project that need through the application process uh, you have the ability to of really making a difference for your department whether it's training equipment staffing etc so yeah yeah yeah, i appreciate all that i want to ask you this because we got some time and i I just want to chat a little bit further but what um what's keeping you up at night in the fire service you got something that 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 keeps you up at night or you think about on your drive in in the morning or or you're thinking about it on your way home it could be good it could be it, it doesn't have to be a bad thing it could be certainly good but what's like a hot topic for you right now in the fire service you have anything that you're thinking about well, I, like that, there's, there's two, there's two questions right there. What keeps me up at night, and what's a hot, to- and what's, what's a hot topic? Yeah, so, but, but I see, I listen. I lay in bed at night, and I, my brain's going a thousand miles an hour. And sometimes it's good stuff, and sometimes it's bad stuff. Sometimes it's that job we went to earlier in the day, and the great shit that went down. It was fun to go to a job with my friends, you know. Like I love that. And then there's other things that I'm like, man, this really pisses me off, and and, and you toss and turn. All right, I mean, like, what's keeping me up at night? Um, it's just a, I don't want like a convoluted story, but like 
I try to tell like my new fire officers, um, and this was explained to me by a um, um, a promotional coach. Right. The promotional coach said to me, he goes, what's the job of a fire officer? And like, I rattled off this answer, like, oh, like, you know, you got to do your riding assignment and you got to make sure it's all the, you know, the chores in the firehouse are done and blah, blah. He's like, no, what's the job of a fire officer? And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, like, you know, you, we got to make sure that, you know, you do a size of He's like, you're, no, you're wrong. Like, you're getting it all wrong. The job of the fire officer is to make sure that everyone goes home safe. And I'm like, I'm like, wow. Like, I'm like, yeah, well, like, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking in that direction. So what keeps me up at night? I have I have forty seven guys, and that's Anglewood. And look, and I have, yeah. you know, whatever 50, 50 members in Ordo. Okay, so what keeps me up at night? I got, I need to make sure that all forty seven guys in Ordo start the shift at eight a.m. Go home in the same shape at the end of you know at the end of their twenty four hour day, and that's what keeps me up at night. I have to make sure that all my guys are okay, and it it never ends. It never. I never stop worrying about it and they might not realize it, but I'm always worrying about their welfare, whether it's on the fire ground, whether it's in the firehouse, their, their health and safety, their well-being, if they're having problems at home, if they're feeling okay, if they're sick, um, it's a constant battle. And, you know, I try to, to provide them all the tools that they need to let them do their jobs safely and, you know, I was just the, the training health and safety officer, or, you know, safety and training officer for almost four years. Um, we've tried very, very, very hard and continue to try very hard to provide them everything they need to you know, have a safe job. Yeah. But there are just too many things out there working against that challenge. And that sort of segues into like, what's like what's keep what's new or what's the hot topic mm-hmm. it's just it's just everything out there you know the difference between like hey what's cool or what's like safe and and you know and there's there's striking that balance like look we got to do our job but also like we got to keep make sure that our guys are safe and healthy enough to do their job does that make sense yeah no like, I, and i'm sitting like, the reason why i'm sure quiet make it to 30 years the, you know it used to be 25 years now it's 30 years so i got to make sure that these guys are 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 healthy enough to get to 30 years now and you know, what keeps me up at night uh cancer you know you know cancer is is a scary thing and you know guys used to break my balls about you know oh, put your mask on or, or watch your gear like this is no joke and uh, you know it used to be like you know guys would laugh about it blah 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 but we have some of the smartest people in the fire service who are preaching the importance of this, this is something that we can't ignore anymore. Um, we've, we've taken some really important steps in Englewood and in Oradell to make sure that um, guys are safe. Um, two sets of gear in Englewood, um, particulate hoods, the extractor, we send the gear out annually for cleaning and inspection, um, you know, decon kit on the rig, all of the all of the things that we're supposed to be doing, but yeah. at the end of the day, it takes uh, it takes buy-in. It takes buy-in from the guys, and you know, a lot of the guys get it, and a lot of guys understand the importance of it. But um, it takes it takes you know, uh, cultural change. It takes you know that shift in attitude to understand that you know, salty gear 
salty gear isn't good. Salty gear isn't isn't safe and healthy for us. Um, and 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 we have made huge huge strides in this area. But um, you know, I don't want to visit a guy, you know, um, you know, you know, getting chemo. Um, it's just it's not it's not a it's not a good thing. It's not a cool thing. And there's just far too many guys who are sick. And uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with that as the chief. Yeah. So like, is it like, I, I know it's, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't no, know. Like, no, I not, listen. It's not I, cool, you know, like, like it's like wearing, like wearing a mask like, during overhaul. Like no one wants to do it, but like, um, like I'm a, I'm a big hazmat nerd. Right. Like I don't, we never talked about that. And then, you know, <laughs> with only, with only an hour, with only an hour to do this. That's like, right. I'm a, huge, I'm a huge hazmat guy, but, there's over, over 250 different chemicals present in fire smoke. You can't you can't whip out a meter and be like, oh yeah, the air is good. Like it, like the air is not good during overhaul. Like it, it is the air is free. Put your mask on. You got to protect yourself. How do you get the buy-in? Are you finding it easier as younger firefighters are coming in? They don't know any better, right? Like a the, little. The nostalgia little. of, you know, like how we used to, I mean, shit, you know, that iconic image of the guy hooking. I hate throwing it back to that, but like the guy hooking a ceiling with a cigarette in his mouth, right? Like it's shit like that, that like guys eat up as the nostalgia, like this is when men were men, right? Okay. I mean, it's it's, it's still there and it's yeah. still it's- my house. I mean, like, but like I said, it's better. Yeah. But it's still there. But how do you get the buy-in? Be, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Like you just you keep press you keep pressing it. I think that like the IFF and the Boston stuff is is awesome. Yeah. It's done a really good job of sending that message home. And I think FDNY has done a great job too. Um, you know, guys like Frank Lieb at the Academy have done an awesome job of pushing that message and, and explaining the importance of it. Yeah. So you know, as long as fire service leaders keep pushing that information out, I think we're we're headed in the right direction, and guys pay attention to it, and we're we're headed in the right direction. Um, it's just these are important things, and we just need to, you know, stress the importance of it. And you know, so like back to the question, what keeps me up at night? That's what keeps me up at night, and that's my job to, you know, ensure that the guys are doing that. Um, you know, it's this goes how stupid wearing seatbelts. You know, like it's so it's such an easy thing to do, but put your seatbelt on so we make sure that we're not killing people, you know, responding and returning to calls. Like it's it's such an easy thing to correct, but you know, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. You would wear a seatbelt in your own car, but you're not gonna wear a seatbelt in the rig. It's an eighty thousand pound truck going fifty miles an hour. We gotta we gotta solve these things. These are easy these are softballs. So, you know, I I'm just wanna make sure that like my guys go home to their families and you know, we were talking at the very beginning, you know, kids, you know. Well, I want to make sure they go home to their kids and their and their families, and make sure they collect their pensions. Like that's that's my that's what I'm that's what keeps me up at night. I just want to make sure that they're, they're good. Well, I will say this, thank you, because uh, you know that was a really uh, candid look at how you feel, and I I appreciate that, man. Like I, such it, it is. Um, this I really haven't gone down these this trail with people on this show when it talks about cancer and and you know I wrote down the quote you said these are softballs and I wrote that down because that sticks with me and it is easy things and then I and then I and then I think about my own place in the fire service and how we how we act and and work and are there things that we could do to be better and you know and so on that are that are softballs and we certainly certainly 
have a lot of work to do to better ourselves and put to, to ensure that we're doing everything we can to keep ourselves just in a little bit safer of a, of a spot because ultimately it's not a safe job. So the stuff that we can control, we should be safe about it. I agree right. with you on that. You know what I'm saying? Like that, those are easy things, but like, I agree. Man, it takes the buy-in. It takes the buy-in of the guys. Like I'm not, I'm not their dad. Like I'm not like, you know, you have to do it. Like I, I'm not going to be like that, but I'm going to give them all the tools they need to do it. You know, they have, they have to understand the importance of it. Yeah. I love you know, that. They have, you know, so that like, it, there has to be a balance where like, I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you everything you need to, to do it. But like, I'm not going to sit there and I, I, I hold your hand doing it. Like, you, you, you know, you have to take some personal responsibility for it. Yeah. So, and for you to, and for you to acknowledge that and understand that, right. I mean, you could only do so much, but you in your position, educate and provide the tools for that to happen. I mean, that that's truly where, you know, what you get to do and, and to be the player and facilitate that for them, I think is huge. And it speaks volumes. The fact that that's what you want for your people to go home at night, to be able to collect their pensions, have a, have a safe retirement and that their job didn't hurt them or kill them along the way. It's yeah, it's huge. So chief, thank you. Thanks for joining me today, man. I appreciate that. Um, I think it was a, an excellent episode on a lot of things that we don't typically talk about on the podcast. So I do appreciate you um, being with me today, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. That's funny. Sorry. You said the hour would go by fast. and like, I feel like we didn't even talk about purpose. So. <laughs> well, we'll have you back for the hazmat episode because that's going to be really exciting. Oh yeah. <laughs> the first three minutes. So. <laughs> hey man, listen, somebody's got to do that job, right? Like I don't want to do it, but if you're into it, hell yeah, man, have at it. I'm all for it. So yeah. I, that's I have all. To have that guy's on for that one. I'm I'm bowing out on that one. Oh, I love that. Well, that's cool. Well, brother, I appreciate you being on today. Thank you very much for taking some time uh, out of your day to to share some of your insights. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of questions and back and forth in regards to maybe some of the grant information um, and so on. So, if it would be okay, sometimes people like to reach out. Um, is there a place that maybe somebody can contact you, or they can just come through us? Whatever you want to do, uh, it's fine by me. Um. I guess my, I guess my email is probably the best. Okay, inbox will get loaded up, but uh, I hope not. I mean, I you know only if it's only if it's you know important. But um, I think you know we said it before, and I, I think that there's um, you know talking to people that have done it before. You seem to really have a good understanding of it. And um, if people, why don't we do this? If anybody is you know if there is any interest in furthering the conversation, let them come find you. Um, and, and that way, you know, that they're, they're into it and, uh, so on. I don't want to jam you up with a lot of stuff, so no big deal, but listen, man, I appreciate you being here today. Thank you, chief Kaplan. I appreciate you and, uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving and, uh, enjoy your family and some time off. And, uh, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. All right. Be safe. We'll talk soon. Yeah, Jeff, stay right here. I'm going to talk to you in just a minute. I just want to sign off the show and then I'll get right back to you, man. Thank you. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of National Fire Radio's podcast. Chief Jeff Kaplan, Engle, the city of Englewood, New Jersey, and Oradell Fire Department. Uh, an incredible conversation today, talking about a lot of things that we don't often talk about. So do me a favor. Take what you heard today. Bring it to the kitchen table. Talk about the job, because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you soon. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.